I believe that Tony Fauci and Deborah Burks and many of the players at the FDA and the CDC should be held criminally responsible for the annihilation of at least a half a million people in America, if not more. We have watched atrocities happen throughout time, but it was never really done on the back of this is for your health. You knew back in 2020, basically the playbook, and yet you had to watch it happen. Is that hard? You're preparing for what you know is gonna be the hardest I told you so in maybe world history. There's a huge cover-up going on here. We are revealing it through lawsuits. We proved that not a single vaccine had ever been through the same rigorous, double-blind, inert placebo study that every other drug we take is. When asked on the stand, did you test to see if it would stop transmission before you released it to the public? She said, no, we were moving at the speed of science. So not only did they not determine that it was safe, they didn't even determine if it could do what a vaccine is supposed to do, which is protect you from getting ill. Now we know it does not. It was a money play and it was hundreds of billions of dollars or nothing. This is a horror that took place and it has been awful to watch it. And it has been sad and it is a blight and a dark moment in the history of America and this world. And it's a disastrous, disgusting moment for all of science, what we just watched take place. This is London Real. I am Brian Rose. My guest today is Del Bigtree, the filmmaker, Emmy award-winning producer, and medical journalist. You are the founder and host of The High Wire, which has become one of the fastest growing health news talk shows with over 100 million views to date. You're also the CEO of the nonprofit Informed Consent Action Network, which leads worldwide investigations into drug and vaccine fraud, resulting in successful lawsuits against many US government agencies. You are regarded as one of the world's preeminent voices of the vaccine risk awareness movement. And your mission is to expose the fraud, lies, and conflicts of interest that have allowed Big Pharma to evade standardizing safety testing for vaccines. You recently starred in the documentary Plandemic, The Great Awakening, which was streamed live on your platform to millions of viewers worldwide. You ultimately believe that the pharmaceutical industry is now an existential threat to the future of humanity, Del, welcome back to London Real. Uh, it's so good to be back. And man, after that intro, what else do we have to talk about? You got it nailed to the wall. That's fantastic. <laughs> Look, we got so much to talk about. You know, I want to jump in and, and just find out what it was like, that red carpet experience, you know, when you're about to premiere a film to 2,500 people in Austin, you're about to live stream it, and you got like kind of like the, you know, Entertainment Tonight Hollywood, you know, action there with people in different places. You got my friend J.P. Sears over there and, uh, of course, Alex Jones. And I had actually just seen him a few weeks earlier. Um, so I want to know what that's like. And then I want to talk because we go way back. You know, people yeah. don't know that back in 2020, in the early days when the shiz was hitting the fan, there were very few people broadcasting through the early days of the madness. And you were one of them. Uh, we were also one of them, but there weren't many others, but you were there and you were barely on Instagram, I think at the time, I think you'd been thrown off all the other platforms and you were on your website, but you know, it, it, it people need to remember that you've been there from the beginning. And um, I just think that's a massive deal. So we'll get back to that. And I remember my first conversation with um, Robert F. Kennedy, who is now running for president, go figure. And um, I remember I walked into that interview 
thinking I'm lining up first in line to get my vaccination. You know, I, I was trained at MIT and when you're trained as an engineer or a scientist, you almost fall in love with the science and you don't look at necessarily what's behind the science. And so you fall in love with the concept of a vaccine, which is a beautiful thing. But I, I still remember when RFK broke down everything behind it. And at the end of that episode, I was, I was just questioning everything. And that's how it started. And it was, it's been fascinating to watch his journey because I knew early on that this was a guy that's extremely intelligent, extremely credible, extremely knowledgeable, extremely grounded as a human. And yet he was just vilified as the anti-vaxxer in the press, et cetera. And now to see him kind of coming around as he runs for president, you know, he was just on the Joe Rogan experience and I was listening to it. And Joe opened up the episode and said, look, I, I was one of these people, you know, and, and he probably was up until 2023, right? And he said, I just yeah. thought you guys were anti-vaxxers and you were crazy and you missed the point. And even I bought into the media narrative that I should be immune to because I'm in the media business and I've been canceled and most of my guests have been canceled. And it was fascinating to hear Joe say, look, you know, I even judged you and I'm not done with the interview, but you know, Joe seems pretty enraptured with JFK, which I think anybody is when you listen to him more than 30 minutes. And Joe is sitting there going, wow, I had no idea. Wow, I had no idea. Wow, I had no idea. I just assumed, assumed, assumed. And by the way, they just mentioned you being at a meeting with Fauci back in the day. And so it was nice to hear your name come up, you know, just to remind people that you've been, you've been doing this for so long. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just fascinating for me to watch how this has all evolved. And, you know, Del, we were being called crazy. At least I know I was. I was new to the fight in 2020. But man, people, they just thought we were insane by asking these questions. And now three years later, there's so much evidence that so many people are opening their eyes. And I don't know, I guess that's a really positive thing, right? It is. And, and, and you know, from my perspective, and I think it's a it's a fairly unique perspective, I do go back. I've been working with Robert Kennedy. We have brought lawsuits together, as he discussed uh, on, on Joe Rogan's show. Uh, we have had some co-lawsuits against uh, our regulatory agencies in the United States of America, particularly against Health and Human Services and the NIH. That's what my nonprofit has been. You know, I, I would say we're the most successful nonprofit at bringing litigation against the government of the United States, at least when it comes to, uh, you know, health issues, especially around the vaccines. We have won lawsuits against the FDA, the NIH, CDC, Health and Human Services, which is the only way you can really reveal the things that Robert Kennedy Jr. is talking about now publicly. All of this was hidden because of these liability protections that our government granted to the pharmaceutical industry back in 1986 because of that there's no way to get any sort of any sort of these revelations uh no court cases are allowed you cannot sue the manufacturer it's i think really the only product like it in america you can make a light comparison to some of the protections around the nuclear uh, um, plants in in this country that they also because they say that it's it's they can't pro provide perfect safety. Therefore, they need to be, you know, uh, exempt from liability. But that's how the vaccines have worked. So those lawsuits have been very important. But as I said, I started this back in 2016 with the, the documentary. In 2017, I started my nonprofit. And so, yes, I think what COVID provided is we were winning these lawsuits. It's why I started my show, The High Wire, 
was I had this attorney, Aaron Siri, who is the best in the business. Um, uh, RFK brought him up in, in Joe, in, on Joe's show also. He's strictly our attorney for the Informed Consent Action Network. He doesn't work with anyone else in this space. Um, but, uh, those lawsuits were really bringing a lot of revelations, but we couldn't get any attention on any of the mainstream media sources saying, wait a minute, there's a huge cover-up going on here. We are revealing it through lawsuits with the government, but none of you guys will cover it. We, you know, we realize and recognize that's because the televisions um, are being, you know, mostly funded by the pharmaceutical industry itself. 60 to 70 percent of most advertising, which is who pays the salaries of all your news agencies and anchors, they're the boss. And so stories like ours were not being um, put out on the media. So we decided we have to develop our own media channel so that we can show the world what we're discovering through these lawsuits. And so that's what we did. When COVID came along, now you have to understand, we already knew how the game was played. We had won, you know, dozens of lawsuits now in this space. We're starting to win lawsuits, you know, in um, in state legislatures and things like that. And but what we knew was people didn't realize that these products were not being properly tested for safety. This is what we proved. We proved that not a single childhood vaccine had ever been the, through the same rigorous, double-blind, inert placebo study that every other drug we take is. Now, and we want to take a moment there to sort of give that some perspective. When we think about drugs that are being tested for safety, when they go through those initial trials, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, um, right to try, right? This idea that if a drug is in a trial phase, you know, looking at safety, if I'm dying of cancer or dying of AIDS, I don't care if it's safe or not. I'm willing to take the risk. Our regulatory agencies have been had such a white knuckle grip on the need for something to be safe that they haven't allowed those drugs to be used while they're in a trial phase. Right. They say we don't care that you're dying of cancer. So many millions of people probably through the years have died waiting for a drug to get through trials to prove that it's safe, which seems ridiculous. Now, on the other hand, vaccines that are not for people that are dying, but for perfectly healthy people. So now you would think safety would be more important. Why give a product to someone that could injure them? Certainly you should be making sure they're safe. They have no regulations that are forcing um, proper safety trials. So it's this incredibly bizarre hypocrisy where sick people can't get a drug that they want to try, but perfectly healthy people will be taking a product that never went through a proper safety trial. And that's what we discovered. So when COVID came along and they and Donald Trump came forward and said, we're going to warp speed this vaccine to the public, in our minds at the high wire, I said, get ready, folks. Now the world is about to see right before their own eyes the magic trick that we've been watching. They're going to watch a rushed process with no proper placebo trials rushed out to the public, and it's going to scare the hell out of them. They're going to finally see how every vaccine has been made, manufactured, and put out to the public. And sure enough, that's all that happened. And so what's interesting is you have this huge pushback. In America, 30% of people did not, you know, rejected taking it. I would say another probably 30 to 50% of those that got the vaccine only got it under duress because they were being threatened that they would lose their job or some other part of their life that they thought was protected by the Constitution of the United States of America. 
And so in under those circumstances, look what happened. Yet 50 percent of medical professionals, when asked on the stand, the CDC, the head of the CDC, head of the FDA, how many of your own employees have got this vaccine? They both said, I don't know, maybe 50 percent. They were afraid of this product. And so now we're in this brand new space where people are realizing, oh, my God, the regulatory agencies in America, they're the most important agencies when it comes to the safety of vaccines in the world, just rushed a product, didn't test the long term effects, whether it's going to be safe and even worse. Now people are waking up to the fact after the incredible testimony by Janine Smalley, the uh, executive from Pfizer, who was in front of the EU a few months ago, when asked on the stand, did you test to see if it would stop transmission before you released it to the public? She said, no, we were moving at the speed of science. So not only did they not determine that it was safe, they didn't even determine if it could do what a vaccine is supposed to do, which is protect you from getting ill. Now we know it does not. Everyone that's gotten the vaccine has gotten caught the virus at least two or three times, even after three, four, five boosters. So now people are like, wait a minute, what is going on? You know what's going on? The same thing that is going on with every other vaccine. The only difference is that children that were losing the ability to talk, losing the ability to walk, dying after vaccines, the parents were the only ones that had to witness it. They weren't medical professionals. And so the establishment was able to say, that's crazy. It had nothing to do with the vaccine. But now adults are getting sick. Adults are having heart attacks. Adults are having strokes right after the vaccine. Healthy people are able to say, I was healthy moments before. I got this vaccine and now my life has been destroyed. That's the only difference is now adults are making the claim of vaccine injury when prior to this moment it was mostly children and they were all written off. Well, now the world has stopped writing this problem off and now we have some serious work to do. So in that sense, it's a good result. But like, was it hard, Dell, to watch or to have to watch the world go through this? I mean, for you, it's like watching a, track in, uh, a train wreck in slow motion. And you, know, you hear these stories and you see all these people damaged and, and you knew back in 2020, basically the playbook, and yet you had to watch it happen. Is that, is that hard in some way to see it happen? Because you must even have friends and family that made probably poor decisions. Yes, it, it was hard. And, and you're preparing for what you know is going to be the hardest I told you so in maybe world history. I mean, there has been the decimation, you know, we have watched atrocities happen throughout time, but it was never really done on the back of this is for your health. And that is what happened here. I believe that Tony Fauci and Deborah Burks and many of the players, of the FDA and the CDC should be held, you know, criminally responsible for the annihilation of at least a half a million people in America, if not more, and less really for the vaccine, but more for the rejection of the products that showed incredible success, like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. These were products that were being very thoroughly tested, had already proven to be incredibly safe for decades. So even if it was only a placebo, why would you block its use? And if you had doctors that were seeing real results, they should be allowed to treat their patients with what they think works. There was no harm or danger to these products, but instead our government agencies got involved. They, you know, you know, ended up forcing hospitals to fire doctors that were using these life-saving measures. And for those reasons, the studies now show us that had they used ivermectin in America, had we used hydroxychloroquine, we would have saved at least 
50% of those that died here. And the doctors that were, you know, screaming from the mountaintops, like I just on my show this week interviewed Dr. Paul Merrick, an ICU doctor, the most published ICU doctor alive today. Uh, who is using these products and having the most success. Now, remember, ICU means these people are now in that critical condition. They didn't come through the door with some light symptoms. They are on their deathbeds. He was reducing death in his ICU and his hospital by 50% compared to everyone else. And still his hospital came out against him, told him, you must stop using the protocols you're using. And in an incredibly passionate and emotional testimony in the Ron Johnson hearings, he said, I was forced to have my hands tied behind my back and watch my patients die right before my eyes. They were killed by the hospital system. There is a retribution that I and others will be seeking. I will not go to bed at the end of my life. If I have not done all I can to try and put these people on trial, this is a horror that took place. And it has been awful to watch it. And it has been sad. And it is a blight and a dark moment in the history of America and this world. And it's a disastrous, disgusting moment for all of science, what we just watched take place. And we pretty much now know that the reason those simple, cost-effective, proven drugs weren't being used is because if they were shown to be effective then there would be no way they could roll out this vaccine at massive scale. And it was ultimately just, it was a money play. And it was, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars or nothing. And that's why it happened effectively, right? And so that all comes really from the top at the end of the day and the money makes it happen. And is, does everyone now know and admit that that is what happened? Or are there a lot of people out there still in denial, still unaware of why the witch hunt was for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. I was sitting right behind a woman in a seat in front of me on an airplane three days ago. And out of just randomly, she was ranting to the person next to her how she had gotten her fifth vaccine. Couldn't imagine why anybody would deny the COVID vaccine. Hates anti-vaxxers. Can't believe how awful they are in this society. And did you hear that the lead anti-vaxxer, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is running for president? The guy sitting next to her, I'm not even sure he was with her. He was just, she was so rabid about it. I think he was just trying to placate her. And I was just thinking, man, I missed the wrong seat by about 14 inches. I would have loved for this woman to be stuck next to me for an entire flight. I would have blown her mind as I heard her espousing how these anti-vaxxers have no evidence for science. They, you know, they're anti-science and, you know, they just need to look at the truth. And I would have loved to said, really, why don't you point out a single study that backs up your point? Because I'm about to open up my laptop I am a specialist on this, and I will start showing you every study to prove that you're wrong. Uh, she would have been stuck, and that's what Rogan pointed out, right? What he said is, I thought science, I just assumed because I was listening to these experts saying the science existed, that the science exists, and that's what's happened. These people have been brainwashed to believe that statements by experts means there's real science behind it. They've never seen it, they couldn't point to it, and we have just come through an amazing time in history, especially in a modern age where the mantra was smart people listen to experts Stupid people do their own research. That is how they've gotten away with this for decades. And that mantra, luckily, is starting to fall apart. Yeah, but slowly. I mean, but no, yeah. I don't think we've gotten through to everybody. The yeah. woman in front of me, 
she has some work to do. No, definitely. I mean, and even to, you know, hear Rogan, uh, you know, again, someone like that who is in new media and well aware and exposed to lots of points of view, you know, he came in with this kind of assumptions uh, of what was the case. And, you know, we're making a documentary film now about what happened with our conversations with David Icke and us getting banned by YouTube and us fighting back and creating our digital freedom platform. All the madness that basically happened from April and May in 2020. And um, it's interesting because I watch back in my first conversation with David Icke in March, I'm like defending the smallpox vaccine. You know, I'm like, you know, and again, I, I, I go back to my I'm an MIT engineer hat and I say, well, didn't the smallpox vaccine worked? I mean, that killed millions of people. And so I start regurgitating facts that I heard someone else say. And I think I actually brought that up with RFK in the episode and he quickly broke down why maybe that wasn't true. And so again, yeah. it just, it really shows how we all have cognitive biases, right, Dell? And we all have media biases. And then you throw a political party in there and maybe a candidate you hate, and then everything goes out the goddamn window, right? And yeah. so people, we think we're smart. We think we're the logical ones. We think we don't make emotional decisions. And yet we all do, right? We all do. And it's like life is just constantly trying to check your ego and make sure you know, you're, you're not taking things too far, right? I just think, and I guess maybe this has been one great example for everyone that we need to really investigate things and not assume and not allow the powers to be. Um, it's been kind of fascinating in that sense. Um, take me, back to, yeah. take me back to 2020 really quickly, Dell, because yeah. I remember the work that you were doing and again, like we were, uh, b because of the circumstances, trying to talk to all the experts. I remember you, I think we're on Instagram, but like that time where we just saw all the technology platforms censoring, you know, for us, it was April 6th. We had the second largest YouTube live stream in the world. And then for the first time in my nine year broadcasting history, we had a, an episode deleted and banned on YouTube. And for me, Dell, I know you had been dealing with this for maybe four years, but for me, I was like, what the heck is this? I thought the weirdos were the ones that got censored, you know, those fanatics. Yeah. And everybody thinks that until it happens to you. And I had this visceral response from deep down inside me that just knew something's not right when you can't have freedom of speech. And then I got an education by fire that these tech platforms were their own governments. And then later I would find out about Twitter files and all this other manipulation going on. But how, can you take us back to what that 2020 was like for you? Well, I mean, you have to remember, right? I was kicked out of one of the top, you know, film, you know, when you think of like great film festivals, you have Sundance, you have Tribeca, you've got Cannes, you know, of course, the Academy Awards or something like that. But these are, these are what you aspire to as a filmmaker. I was kicked out of that for having a controversial documentary. And by the way, at that moment, when that before it was happening, I was warning Tribeca. I was calling their head of PR saying, I don't think you should announce what our documentary is about or who's in it because it's going to bring so much controversy onto your 
platform, why don't you just say a film so controversial you won't know what it's about until you air it? I knew this was coming. I knew this issue was this heated because the person I was making the film with was Dr. Andrew Wakefield. I And by the way, I did a deep dive on him before I even decided to work with him on the film because obviously my reputation would be attached to his for the rest of my life. So I had to look into his story and my investigation of his story proved that the great one of the great you know, frauds of all times was the removal of his license and the reason they said it was removed. This was a guy that never made an outrageous claim. In fact, everyone thinks that the famous Lancet paper, and I know I'm going back in the weeds, but this is this is the heart of where this is all at. Back in the early 1990s, when Andy Wakefield first says, look, I have just done a study where we have 12 parents with children with autism, and each one of them, everyone in our interview said, my child's autism started right after the MMR vaccine. That, and so in the study, the study was not about does the MMR cause autism? It was just about an, an intestinal problem that was the same in all these children. And the question being asked was, does autism have a gut biome connection of some kind? And that's what that study proved. In that study, they simply reported that the parents had said that this autism problem that leads to this gut issue had started with the MMR vaccine. And it said explicitly this, this study does not prove an association between the vaccine and autism. More studies need to be done on that. But simply putting this in a paper that parents were making this statement be, was the beginning of the end to him and his career. And he is now listed as arguably one of the most hated doctors in medicine. I know children have said, I have in my textbook, what it says, medical fraud, there's a picture of Andy Wakefield. So that's where this starts. The man that first warned us that there may be a problem here, wanted to do more science on it, he was censored. So then when I'm working with him and I'm making a film, I'm kicked out of Tribeca Film Festival. There were bomb threats in theaters we were trying to get into around the world. When we would pull into a town, the local medical hospital or university would put out an article, do not go see this film, these people are getting children killed. That was my experience for an entire year of my life with a film that all I had done was put medical professionals in front of a camera, parents that were telling their own personal story, and put that together so people could see their perspective. So when Tribeca was kicking us out, our question was, why? What? They said, some of your science is inaccurate. What science? Who's saying that? And certainly we should have the opportunity to show you our evidence. They said, we're not going to give you that opportunity. We're not going to tell you who is censoring you. In the end, they said, well, Sloan Kettering is one of ours. The Sloan Foundation, which is backed by Sloan Kettering, a medical monolith, is one of our primary donors. And they've made the statement they would never face us. So this, you know, by the time 2020 hit, I was the king of being censored. I'd already been censored like crazy. My film, I'd watched the whole thing. Now we had established a show, The High Wire, on YouTube and Facebook. We were starting to put these, and we'd already had a few of our episodes that had already been canceled and, and erased even before COVID hit. So we knew we were in a dicey space once COVID came along. And we, But you have to imagine. I mean, this is like, you know you're the one person on a field left and the, you know, you're the kicker and the guy's just running right at you. Like, aren't you going to try to go around me? I mean, they ran right into us. We tackled this thing and hit to the ground because we knew their entire play. We knew the whole game. So we were able to immediately jump on this story. And of course, 
uh, very early on. They wiped out our Facebook, wiped out our YouTube, took it away um, permanently at the time. I think I think we just got our YouTube back, if, if I'm if I'm correct, for being very careful with that. But the point being, at least I built an audience big enough at that point where I just started saying. I think it's imminent. We're going to lose YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, please know we'll be at www.thehighwire.com. And an amazing thing happened. And there was articles coming out demanding that we be cut from these social media platforms. I remember a Media Matters article saying this show is spreading misinformation and needs to be stopped immediately. And you realize that it was all a part of the same system. They were just announcing to the world that it was about to happen because like four or five days later, we lost our YouTube channel. But something interesting happened. We lost our YouTube channel on like a Tuesday. We air our show on a Thursday. We had to find a new video player to try and put our show out on our website because we were using YouTube. And we found some you know, small third-party group that would give us a player. We got it all together. And we just said to everybody on every all, all of our personal social media platforms, please, if you've been watching The Highwire, go over to our website. We will not have YouTube this week. We're off of the social media channels. And we had expected, when we were watching our YouTube lives, we were seeing, you know, roughly, you know, five to 10,000 people were tuning into the, the videos. And, you know, over a week or so, that might get up to 80,000, a really good episode. We get 100,000 views. Well, we went live on our website with this third-party player. It crashed like three or four times, couldn't handle the volume. And we're thinking, wow, those 10,000 people moving over here are really beating the heck out of this little player we just used. But then on Monday after our, 30, third, uh, our Thursday show, we got the demographics back and we got all of the, the background information. We found out that 225,000 people were trying to watch our show at the same time, and that's why we're crashing, which made us then realize, oh my God, not only are we being censored by YouTube, they've been lying to us about the amount of people that are using that platform to watch us. And so this whole thing has been a scam. It's been a scam. They're using us and our information. And it's really funny. I had a, I had a talk with a really big media uh, mogul recently who was saying to a friend that had, I think, a Bitcoin podcast. And he said, you know, the guy says, I have 500,000 uh, followers. He's like, no, you don't. He's like, yeah, I do. He's like, no, you don't. And he said, he, he says, look, I'll show you like here. Look at YouTube. I have 500,000 people following me. He's like, I, you don't have one. You don't have one. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, that's YouTube. YouTube is using you to get those. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, okay, call one of those people right now. Email one of those people right now. Reach out to them directly. And the guy said, oh. I see your point. You see, we get all these thumbs up and everything. We feel like we're like connected and you know this. And this is where you've been brilliant. You've been directly interacting with your people as we all have to. And we need to have email contacts. We may all be cut off of this death star called the internet at some moment. If we don't have people's emails, how are, I'll, I'll email you the damn you know show that we're doing if we have to. And this is where people need to step up, right? We need them to commit at that level. At least sign on to my newsletter so I can be in direct contact with you because censorship is real. These agencies have been working against us from the beginning. And now our government is infiltrating these private companies and taking it even further. This is where the people have got to get smart. It's coming at us in so many different directions. Yeah, and look, so much we could talk about when it comes to the nuances of technology censorship. Um, you know, we we struggled um, as soon as we got uh, that one video deleted off YouTube. 
Um, we started sequentially seeing all of our tech accounts closed. It was wild. I mean, to see yeah. PayPal suspend over $100,000, then Dropbox to shut us down. And I was like, oh, if Dropbox shuts us down, that means you're actually watching the content on the hard drive you're providing? I was like, that's, yeah. didn't, didn't know you were doing that. And then uh, uh, LinkedIn killed us. Like we were getting systematically taken off these platforms and people forget there's no rumble back then. You know, there's no other alternatives back then. And uh, so that's happening. And, uh, you know, then later, of course, we find out via Twitter files, you know, because at the time you think I'm just paranoid. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. So there's no way this is all happening in a coordinated effort. And then later you read the Twitter files and you're like, oh, there were actually a lot of people in government that were going systematically to try to shut these voices down. And so it's just fascinating to look in retrospect. Like I said, we're making a film all about this just to kind of show what was going on in our heads. And then for people like you and, and us, we create our own platform, which then brings o its own problems. And like you said, third-party players. For me, what I really wanted to do, and now that I look at it in retrospect, I'll, I wanted to stick it to the man. I wanted to say, oh yeah, I can't live stream? Well, I'm gonna live stream. And so for us, four weeks later, we had Ike back in the studio, which again, to get someone in a London studio at the time was challenging because we were locked down. And then to stream it live was gonna cost six figures. And then to get a provider to actually go through with it once they found out who you were, um, let alone everybody was at home freaked out and scared. So you, there was nobody working. So we, but we wanted to just pull it off, but there were so many challenges. And like you said, this is in what we call a web two environment. Later, we went into the blockchain space where they call it Web3. And with Web3, as with Bitcoin, you see the flaws of the system that you never saw before. So like you say, Dell, it's a great example. We had 2 million subscribers at the time on YouTube. And I always tell my students in my academies, I'm like, you know how many email addresses I have from those? And they all look at me strange and I'm like, yeah, zero. And so they're actually not mine, especially when they deplatform you, they're not yours. Not only that, Dell, I had nine years of my life 10,000 videos that was all gonna be taken away from me, my digital identity that you could argue I technically probably should own. And so you get into all these things and guess what it does? It really ties into the pandemic movie because you realize that without digital property rights, just like without property rights in America, you don't have freedom. Without owning property, you don't have freedom. And without owning your digital property, you don't have freedom of speech. And so it's funny how it all ties in full circle you know, to what we see. And I don't know, man, I, I, I feel a kindred spirit with you, Dell, because I know yeah. that you guys, you were doing that way before us. You did it to an extreme level, but I, I, uh, we went through that at the same time. And you, know, you never wavered. You always were going strong. You were always doubling down. Feels like you're always looking towards the end game. Um, how was that like emotionally during that time? Are you a guy that's just always able to deal with it? Or were there ups and downs in 20 and 21 and even in 22? Um, you know, to be totally and completely transparent and honest, um, I had a very strong feeling when I got involved with the film Vaxxed. I, I feel like there were several miracles that made that happen. I've told the story many times. It's probably too long to, to talk about here. But I had my whole life believed that 
I, I had a sense that there was something that was going to be very important that I was going to be involved in on this earth. And by 40 years old, I was wondering, am I just crazy? And, you know, I'd say to my friends, I'm just not doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And they would say, Dell, you won an Emmy Award on television. What does your life have to provide for you? I said, it's not that I'm not grateful, but there's this feeling I've always had that there's something very important I'm here to do. And the moment I came in contact with Andy Wakefield and he sat me down, he'd already been working on that documentary for you know over a year. He had a whistleblower, which I was very, I knew about the story, didn't know who was telling it. I was saying prayers like I want to be involved in this story. I, this is really important to me. It's something I care about. And just through an incredible set of, if people want to call them coincidences, fine. I, you know, within days of really focusing on it, found myself with Andy and I watched that documentary. And the realization in that moment was, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This film needs everything that I've been learning how to do through my whole life. In fact, all of my failures, all of my successes suddenly like my life passed before my eyes made perfect sense and i had this incredible feeling and thought that not only am i qualified right now to do what this film needs to do to change this conversation in the world i think i am the most qualified person for this very unique and specific moment and in that moment that hole disappeared and I felt like I was aligned with my destiny. I know people will make that what they want. Uh, but once you connect on that level, you're fearless. I believe that we are all being guided by a greater intelligence. And I have to believe if the universe is honorable, that all of us have a destiny. And I pray that everyone gets to experience the life as I now experience it, which is fully connected into um, source and working from that. I don't feel like I'm as cerebral now as I used to be about the future. When you say, where are you going? And you're really ahead of the game. The truth is, is I live more in the moment now than I ever have, because I realize that if I'm going to win, if I'm going to be right, if I'm going to be correct all the time, then I need greater than my own intelligence. And so I, I'm lucky my parents taught me to meditate at a very young age. I think it's important for everybody to be able to slow down their mind, get the chatter out, and really let you know divine intuition and thought guide them. To continue watching the rest of the episode for free, visit our website, londonreal.tv, or click the link in the description below.